MS-13, a rival gang, may have frightening tattoos, but Los Zetas is the most violent. Drug cartels are notorious for their brutality and inhumanity around the world, but Los Zetas has taken it to a new level. Los Zetas are often regarded as the most vicious and inhumane drug organizations in history. Exhibit A. After refusing to pay a ransom or take jobs as hitmen, the gang slaughtered 72 kidnapped migrants at a secluded property in northeastern Mexico in August 2010. Las Zetas has been tied to a number of previous Mexican mass murders. Welcome to Baggage Unclaimed. This is the very first episode of Narco 101. In this series, we take a deep dive into the narco world and personalities in as much detail as possible. I have to provide a disclaimer. These episodes are absolutely intended for documentation and educational purposes only. The guys are in no way inspirational or impressive. So, don't even think about it. It feels weird that I even have to mention this considering how many grotesque videos we have unpacked from these folks. Please subscribe, leave a like or comment if this is something you are or might be interested in from time to time. I publish new episodes every other day, and your engagement helps this episode and many more like it get suggested to a whole lot of new audiences. We are rapidly growing thanks to your participation and positive support, so thank you. That being said, let us get right into some Narco 101. Inception and Early Operations Las Zetas is a Mexican crime syndicate that was founded in 1997 as the enforcement arm of the drug trafficking Gulf Cartel, but broke away in 2010 to form its own criminal organization. The organization was recognized for its ruthless tactics and well-organized structure. During the late 1990s, Gulf Cartel boss Osiel Cardenas Gillen grew increasingly paranoid as he gained regional influence and prominence in Mexico's Tamaulipas. The Gulf Cartel was not entirely under his control, Gillen had to bend the knee or die at the hands of a number of rivals across Tamaulipas. He was well aware that his future would be filled with violence and bloodshed. The youthful cartel boss needed to have an elite bodyguard force. He turned to Arturo Guzman de Sina, an ex-Mexican Army Special Forces officer, and inquired where they could locate such men. Having been in the army, Arturo Guzman persuaded at least 31 soldiers to leave military service and fall under his leadership to safeguard the Gulf Cartel's leader. For rigorous negotiations, they agreed to join. I'm assuming the negotiations simply involved throwing stacks of money at the men. And just like this, Las Zetas was formed. Some of these men had served with the Special Forces Airmobile Group, GAFE, a Mexican Special Forces unit, they had received advanced training, and some had completed a training the trainers program. All of the new recruits had everything they needed to form a paramilitary narco army to defend the boss and carry out his orders. These individuals would undoubtedly go on to form one of the most brutal, disciplined, and well-organized narco armies the organized drug crime word had ever seen. At least until CJNG was formed. Vicious brutality defined Las Zetas. Their martial philosophy was kill, kill, kill and overkill. Which goes without saying, they religiously lived by. Dylan expanded his operations once he felt safe. Las Zetas' first phase, which lasted from 1997 to October 2004, was defined by two key roles, protecting the principal and hunting down opponents. Most of these secret missions into cities and towns across Tamaulipas were led by Las Zetas' three most trusted men. Arturo Guzman, Z1. Virgilio Gonzalez Bazana, Z2, and Heriberto Lascano, Z3. Their main orders were to arbitrarily execute Gillen's rivals and ensure that the Gulf Cartel became the most powerful drug trafficking organization in Tamaulipas and along Mexico's Gulf Coast. The Las Zetas training enabled a high rate of operational success, 
unprecedented acts of savagery were frequently used to conclude operations. Early Lasetta's operatives claimed, quote, If you frighten your enemy enough, you may defeat him without having to fight. Lasetta's early success was largely due to their military training. Lasetta's involvement in the Mexican criminal justice system raised the bar in terms of both professionalism and violence. Rival organizations would have to increase their recruiting and training in order to keep up with Las Zetas in terms of brutality and violence. They expanded and evolved as they worked to solidify control of Mexico's Gulf Coast for their boss. From early 2002 to late 2004, Las Zetas went through an evolutionary phase that changed the core structure of the paramilitary operative organization. On January 14, 2002, the Mexican military apprehended Dillon's main accountant, Ruben Saucedo Rivera. On November 21, 2002, Arturo Guzman de Sina, Z1, was killed in a firefight with soldiers in Matambras. On March 14, 2003, less than four months after Guzman's death, the Mexican military apprehended Dillon in Matamoros. As a result of all of this, Las Zetas became more actively involved in the drug business as well. It also played a vital part in halting an effort by the Sinaloa cartel to seize control of Nuevo Laredo, a key city for storing cocaine and transporting it into the United States from 2005 to 2006. As a result, Las Zetas gained a reputation for cruelty and violence. Smuggling people, kidnapping, extortion, and arms trafficking were among the activities that the gang expanded to beyond protection and enforcement. The theft of more than $1 billion in oil from Pemex, Mexico's national oil company, was also attributed to the Las Zetas and other cartels. Heriberto Lascano, also known as El Asco or Z3, took over the leadership of the group after Arturo Guzman, Z1, was killed in 2002 and his deputy, Rogelio Gonzalez Pizana, Z2, was captured the following year. With Laz Cano at the head of Las Zetas, Osil Gillen in prison, and the Gulf Cartel weakened, Las Zetas entered its second phase of development, one that lasted until January 2010. Growth and Departure from the Gulf Cartel In October 2004, Las Zetas began a new mission, gaining independence from the Gulf Cartel. Heriberto Lascano directed the recruiting of Guatemala's elite ex-Special Forces units to bolster the protection of his own high-ranking agents and assist with training and recruitment. He established clandestine recruitment channels by reaching out to military contacts. He increased the number of training camps in Tamaulipas, where new recruits learned the fundamentals of small unit tactics, firearms use, and communications. And he oversaw the creation of a clandestine radio network. For years, the Mexican military has attempted but failed to dismantle the vast network of radio antennae created and operated by Las Zetas. This vast and sophisticated radio network is unassailable. This is basically one of the reasons why this group has rock-solid and safe communications, which is very important when running such a massive crime organization. Las Zetas' new leader expanded the organization's revenue-generating operations beyond extortion to include control along drug trafficking routes, known as plazas, where inferior organizations would have to pay a tax in exchange for safe passage. Heriberto Lascano also helped to strengthen an accounting system that would later become the backbone of Las Zetas' activities throughout Mexico and Central America. Whether he was a visionary or not, Lascano understood that the success of the organization he led would be directly proportional to its ability to generate and safeguard money. As a result of these and other actions, Las Zetas emerged as a separate organization from the Gulf Cartel. 
After Osil Cardenas Gulen's arrest and eventual death, the leadership of the Gulf Cartel was assumed by Jorge Eduardo Castilla Sanchez, also known as El Cos. In a hasty move, El Cos progressively gained control of the Gulf Cartel as the two organizations drew apart, and in early 2010, he ordered the kidnapping and death of a Las Zetas operative in Reynosa, a city in northern Mexico. Miguel Trevino Morales, Z40, the second in command of Las Zetas, sought the release of the captive. When El Cos refused, a battle broke out. The final phase of Las Zetas' rise, as well as the weakening of the Gulf Cartel, was defined by this fight. The death or arrest of the majority of the Gulf Cartel's initial members contributed to this transition. As a result, they began to expand their recruitment efforts, bringing in former Guatemalan Special Forces personnel, among others. Las Zetas' size remained a mystery, with estimates ranging from a few dozens to several thousand people. Las Zetas' brand name, which became a synonym for intimidation and inspired a swarm of imitators, contributed to the ambiguity. Las Zetas' operational capacity remained strong despite its separation from the Gulf Cartel. They resisted pressure from a slew of competing crime syndicates to keep control of key trafficking routes along Mexico's east coast. They have a substantial presence in Guatemala, where it has enlisted the help of corrupt police officers as informants. Las Zetas' birth and evolution can be seen as a symptom as much as a cause of the militarization of the Mexican drug wars. Competition between large trafficking organizations increased in the first decade of the 21st century, and conflicts between traffickers and the police and military became increasingly common. After establishing itself as an independent cartel, Las Zetas was confronted by an alliance of the Gulf and Sinaloa cartels, as well as La Familia Michicana, all of whom claimed that Las Zetas had undermined and discredited the drug trafficking industry. The former bodyguards surged back into the criminal underworld, with well-established bases in Huevo Laredo, Fresnillo, Veracruz, and Caban and Guatemala, after an initial setback in early 2010, when they defended their organization against an alliance of these three drug trafficking organizations stitched together by the Gulf Cartel. By late 2010, the gang was in a position to resume its extortion, taxing, and drug trafficking operations, after solidifying its status as a fully legitimate organized crime syndicate. Although drug trafficking has always been a part of Las Zetas' commercial portfolio, it has never been the organization's primary priority. They were at a disadvantage as it expanded, independent of the Gulf Cartel because it lacked contacts in Colombia and other Andean drug-producing countries. Miguel Trevino Morales was the driving force behind Las Zetas' entry into the cocaine business, owing to his position as the owner of one of the most valuable smuggling routes in the US, he was the driving force behind Las Zetas' entry into the cocaine business. It was a quick and direct route down the Interstate 35, in Texas, to one of the country's hottest drug markets. Chicago. Due to this quick access to ready markets, drug producers in Colombia did not hesitate to get into business with Las Zetas. This helped Las Zetas expand even further, creating connected wholesale points across the United States, with as many as 37 cities in the Midwest, Northeastern, and Southeastern regions of the United States by 2009. They basically had everything at this point. The product, suppliers, markets, routes, good communication, a massive paramilitary unit, and most importantly, a visionary leader. For a while, at this point it was everyday narco business as usual. Trouble in Paradise Las Zetas survived a coordinated offensive by rivals and the Mexican authorities in 2010 and 2011 that would have decimated most criminal groups. 
art of the organization's surprise survival can be attributed to Herbert Alascano's strategic vision and the organization's ability to absorb defeat while continuing to recruit, train, and expand its presence into new territory. Looking ahead to 2012 and beyond, the organization's greatest battle will most likely be fraught between the two individuals who run it, rather than against the Sinaloa cartel, their main rivals. Miguel Trevino Morales, Los Zetas second-in-command, is a former police officer from Nuevo Laredo who was known for being a reckless operator. Heriberto Lascano, on the other hand was a military strategist who was focused on his strict methodology, fundamental strength, training and recruiting, and remaining alive. Inevitably, these two were bound to have managerial and operational differences. On October 7, 2012, special forces from the Mexican Navy tracked down Lascano near Progreso, Cahula, where he was driving a white van with one gunman. The two cartel members opened fire on the Marines, resulting in a shootout that claimed the lives of Lascano, his bodyguard, and one Marine. This automatically left Miguel Trevino Morales as the leader of Las Zetas, and all hell broke loose. Their brutality and expansionist operations tremendously increased. Las Zetas retaliated in kind, increasing their infamy through a series of increasingly dangerous provocations. They threw grenades into an Independence Day celebration in Marilia, Michoacan state capital, killing attendees. They burned down a casino in Monterrey, the state capital of Nuevo Leon, killing 52 people. They threw a grenade into the U.S. consulate in the same city, killing one U.S. federal agent and injuring another on a highway near San Luis Potosi. They kidnapped busloads of tourists going through Tamaulipas, killing many at a time and forcing survivors to battle to the death to stay alive. Their ferocity appeared to be not only infinite, but also frighteningly inventive. They put the public in a situation similar to that of the theater audience, seeing a compelling yet gruesome performance. What would Las Zetas do next? It was what could only be described as a reign of terror. The Las Zetas antics took place against a backdrop of unrelenting growth. From their base in Tamaulipas, they conquered most of Nuevo Leon, Veracruz, Tabasco, Cahula, and San Luis Potosi. They also made gains in more remote states such as Guerrero and Sinaloa, which are in the backyard of their main adversary, as well as far-flung international countries. This territorial expansion, combined with a list of crimes, painted Las Zetas as an unstoppable force. During this time, lots of videos, photos, and bodies kept dropping, documenting their escapades. We have looked at some of these gruesome and grotesque scenes in various baggage unclaimed episodes. For years, the show of arrests and military maneuvers seemed to achieve little. Mexico, and Las Zetas in particular, grew increasingly vicious. Las Zetas weren't the only gang causing concern in Mexico and baffling policymakers, but they looked to be dragging Mexico closer and closer to a cliff than any other. During this time, CJNG was coming into the scene, and if there is anything we have established about CJNG, it is that they are basically Las Zetas on steroids. Needless to say, the emergence of CJNG changed the dynamics of organized crime in Mexico, and Las Zetas was no exception. Even beyond their obvious motivation for eliminating their rivals, the dramatic violence was advantageous to Las Zetas for a time, it produced additional profits. The foundation of their kidnapping and human trafficking, for example, was brutality. They were able to demand protection money from both illegal organizations and respectable firms, thanks to a real threat of vengeance. Las Zetas were not only more bloodthirsty than their counterparts, but they also exploited this trait to evolve into a new type of crime syndicate. Extortion, human trafficking, retail drug sales, piracy, kidnapping, and black market oil and gas sales were all part of Las Zetas' repertoire of illegal activities, 
The floss said as two pillars were a flair for violence and a diverse approach to crime, the third was the group's close relationship with the government. Unlike their Sinaloa counterparts, the Zetas have a limited history of collaborating with federal officials. Rather, the organization dominated state politics, integrating the governments of Humberto Marrera and Cahula and Fidel Herrera and Veracruz, among others, under their organizational hierarchy. Herrera's candidacy was reportedly funded with millions of dollars by Las Zetas in 2005, securing his compliance for the rest of his six-year term. During Herrera's term, ADT Petro Servicius, which was formed with Zeta's money and was owned by Money Launderer and Herrera's friend, Francisco Colorado Sessa, won millions in Veracruz oil servicing contracts. Let us just say that Las Zeta's expansionist and managerial strategies were rock-solid and very well calculated. The sweeping takeover of state governments, the unparalleled commercial diversification, and the hunger for spectacular violence all worked together in the Las Zetas operations. Business diversification necessitated more violence. Diversification necessitated collusion with government officials. Government collusion permitted gang members to commit atrocities with impunity. The threat of violence drove officials to collaborate with Las Zetas. Their power grew as a result of these mutually reinforcing features, which heightened public fear. However, it's unclear whether it reflected the gang's power. Much of the violence, on the other hand, appeared to be the result of a shattered chain of command and a lack of competence among the ranks. Both the Casino Royale massacre and the attack that murdered Jamie Zapata were purportedly botched. This caused brutal retaliation from their rivals in the Mexican army. The quick side note. Las Zetas operatives set a casino on fire in Monterrey, Nuevo Leon, Mexico, on August 25, 2011, killing 52 people. Over a dozen people were injured, and over 35 people were trapped for several hours as a result of the attack. This is known as the Casino Royale Massacre. This incident made Las Zetas even more hated by the public and forced the government to rain hellfire on them in retaliation. On the other hand, Jamie Jorge Zapata was an immigration and customs enforcement and homeland security investigation special agent who was ambushed and murdered by the Mexican criminal group Las Zetas in San Luis Potos, Mexico. He was one of two agents ambushed in a region of the country that was becoming more engulfed in drug violence. Zapata's assassination was the second most high-profile assassination of a U.S. agent in Mexico. This meant serious trouble for Las Zetas. Overall, the Zetas earned between $15 and $20 million per month from their major cocaine distributor in the Midwest, and they kept a cash reserve of between $30 and $50 million in Mexico. According to a former leader, the organization's total earnings from drug sales in the United States was around $350 million. That money, however, was revenue rather than profit, and much of it was going to their Colombian suppliers. At the height of his authority, Miguel Trevino Morales ruled over half of the Mexican and Central American crime world with impunity. He made millions of dollars by shipping tons of cocaine to the United States and investing the proceeds in casinos, cattle ranches, high-end sports cars, and racehorses. Miguel Trevino Morales was untouchable by U.S. investigators in Mexico, where he had police and politicians on his payroll until he started on a bold scheme to launder his drug millions in quarter horse racing in the U.S. and construct a racing empire with his elder brother, Jose Trevino Morales, as the front man. It was the start of his undoing, said Steve Pennington, the lead IRS criminal investigator who helped the FBI unravel the money laundering scheme. All this aside, Las Zetas were at war with almost every other major cartel, and this spread them a little too thin. CJNG was at the helm of these attacks.
One of Las Zeta's heaviest blows came with the arrest of Miguel Trevino Morales in 2013. This left the group under the leadership of his brother, Omar Trevino Morales, known as Z42, who was also arrested in 2015. On March 23, 2015, Ramiro Perez Moreno, also known as El Rana, or The Frog, a potential successor of Z42, was also captured along with a couple of other Las Zetas members. On February 9, 2018, Mexican authorities arrested the new leader, Jose Maraguzer Valencia, alias C43, in Mexico City. On April 9, 2019, the new leader, Jose Roberto Stolberg Becerra, also known as La Barbie, was arrested in Jalisco. Jose Carmen, better known as El Commandant Reyes, the regional boss of Las Zetas operations, was apprehended in Oaxaca in January 2020. He was thought to be in charge of the gang's operations in 12 municipalities in Veracruz, including the state's most violent towns, Acaican, Minatitlan, and Coatzacoalcos. Let us just say things were not really going in a very favorable direction for Las Zetas. During this time, many foot soldiers and high-ranking members were arrested or killed during drug busts, heavy military operations, and rival gang clashes. Las Zetas started slowly losing notoriety and influence in their jurisdictions as one misfortune befell them right after another. Due to this, many members deserted, ran away, or simply disappeared. As of today, Las Zetas is a fringe minority in organized crime, with most of the members living low-key, or just a bunch of hopeless imitators operating in the name of Las Zetas. Many believe the group is dismantled, but others are of the consensus that they are very much operational, just a lot more careful now. One thing is for sure, they are not the big dogs anymore. This episode is mainly focused on the overview of Las Zetas as a group, that is to say, formation, operations, activities, jurisdiction, leadership, and downfall. However, these guys have a long rap sheet riddled with massacres and murders of civilians in their hundreds. We shall be looking at those individually in subsequent Baggage Unclaimed episodes. Thank you for being with me on this episode of Baggage Unclaimed. Please subscribe, leave a like or comment. Your engagement helps keep the lights on around here, and if you'd like to support us even further, please consider becoming a channel member. Link in the description. Thank you.